You're listening to Dialed In. I'm your host, Kyle Burt. And this episode features Donald C. Kelly, the sales evangelist. Sat down with him a couple weeks ago on a live stream on LinkedIn. And we talked about the evolution of buyers and sellers, how the sales process is more or less the same. People have problems, we have solutions, but the way that you get attention has changed drastically. So a lot of stuff to unpack here. He's a podcaster with 1,080 episodes, just a wealth of knowledge, tons of silver bullets. Check out his podcast and enjoy this one. I can hear you perfectly now. So what were we talking? What, what were we talking about? What did I miss? You said a bunch of stuff that I completely could not hear. Bro, I was just I was flowing. I felt like I was twist over here, man. But, but you know, you asked a question about what has changed in sales. What is the same? What's evolving, and so forth. And I do believe that the means or the cap- the ways that we go about capturing a prospect's attention or the way that we go about bringing value or the avenue of communication has evolved. That's that's no doubt about that. It's just the fact. The thing that I do believe has not changed is that people still have problems, no matter where, what time period you come from, everyone has a problem. And it's just our means of going about educating them that we are capable of solving that problem. And sometimes we have to educate them about the problem before they even know they have a problem. And that's why creating content is so crucial. That's why I do the podcast. And that's why we do, I still use the phones. I love using phone, but I, if I was to just stay as like a, you know, grumpy old man and says, I started off selling with the phone. I'm staying with the phone. By golly, it works. Yeah, yeah then I'm going to be stuck. You can't do that. You have to evolve. So I utilize LinkedIn as well and social media. Started utilizing Instagram, started doing a little bit more videos like this. But all of these different channels, I even went back to something really old school and we use snail mail. Like sometimes I literally send stuff in the mail. Yeah. And especially, let me show you, like even my thank you card, like when I meet with a prospect, or whatever, oh, all right. I'll send an email and then we send them a a thank you card, okay. obviously, the social stuff, but it it gives us an opportunity to take advantage of multiple avenues to yeah. to tell our story, which don't change, which is that we can solve problems, and which is the truth that everybody does have a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I heard I heard there's an, there's another gentleman. I think his name is Stu Hein uh, Heinke or something. Stu. Yeah. 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 So he does contact marketing, right? So he's a um, illustrationist. So he would make cartoons and he would send them, he'd make a cartoon for a CEO and he'd send it out to the CEO. And that's how he's getting meetings. Like uh, super creative, right? Yeah. Good way to get their attention. So, um, dude, that's awesome stuff. And I think, like you said, it's just, you have to leverage multiple channels, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, what, what's a trend that you kind of see? I, I know that you've been doing your podcast, but now obviously we've got this LinkedIn live video stuff that doesn't work sometimes and probably a lot of it's it's user error, but that was a legit massive internet (laughs) interruption. Um, But yeah, so I mean, what what do you see as trends? Like, what are you excited about? So as far as like technology trends, things that I see, I utilize videos in in my emails and that's something that I think has been slowly creeping up and it's catching steam. And the reason why I interviewed this guy for, we're launching a second podcast and we've been working on it and it just takes a lot more uh, it's it's going to be seasonality, and we're going to have storytelling slash storytelling slash interview narratives, but it's, it it takes a little bit more work. But this guy, one of the things he said was the way that he's being reached out to. He said out of ten people reaching out to him, all of them are probably say ten of them are sending emails. One of them are sending a video, hmm. and I'm not talking about like a YouTube video or like a, you know here's a link go to our site. It's a video that's embedded. So tools like CoVideo or BombBomb. Or some of the top ones, you know, Vidyard is another one that's out there. Loom, right. where you can it it 
basically puts a GIF inside of the email. And on it, it shows like the num the length, like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. And the things that you can say in that 30, 45 seconds, again, go back to telling a story, capture my attention. If you can do that, it stands out. But here's what dude said that made me realize I need to do this. And this was last year when we had the interview with him. He said of the 10, probably he said over, it was at around June last year. He said the only 10 people has probably sent him videos at that point. And he said of the 10 that came, maybe half of them were just like a marketing video that a company sent. And then the other three were just like the sales rep doing a generic video. So only two of them or three were actual videos of him saying, you know, hey, Kyle, how you doing? My name is Donald. I'm with blah, blah, blah problem. And would you be open to hearing about this? And that made a huge difference in him responding to it because typically he'll just ignore all those emails, but the video stood out. And then the fact that the video stood out and spoke to his needs personally made a huge difference. And I think that's a trend that we all need to watch and pay attention to before everybody and their mom starts jumping into it. It's a, something that we can start doing right now. Right, right. Yeah. There's, there's another gentleman out here, the, um, Trevor Houston, he runs a podcast yeah. and a show out here called uh, the who, you know, show. And he sent me a yeah. bomb bomb and LinkedIn and the GIF pops up on LinkedIn and it's great. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. Like that stuff, take advantage of it before everybody does. Cause again, what do we do as marketers? We ruin every channel. Bro, we're gonna milk that till it's milk that dry. <laughs> right, right. So as soon as we as soon as we do, then the next who knows what the next thing is. Maybe we find a way to, we, maybe we find a way to like get messages um, across your Amazon Echo device. I don't know. That'd be crazy. It, it, right? Yeah. It will They'll figure it out and they'll make it happen and then we'll we'll mine the heck out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, Karen Tischler, hey, thank you so much for uh, sticking with us through um, all of that mess. But we're here, we're back. Um, you had yeah. some great questions. Uh, I think Donald addressed them, but if we did not, then then let us know. So, man, um, want to kind of go back a little bit more to you know maybe your origin story. So, yeah, you know, we we heard bits and pieces of it, but you know. Take us back. So, like, before all of this, before 2013, starting this podcast, you were in sales. But you know what? What was kind of your experience? Like, what, what were you doing? And, and you know, take us there. Yeah. So back, I mean, go way, way back, right? So even like back in uh, pre high in high school days, right after high school, I'm a lot of people follow me. They know that I'm LDS. Went to Brigham Young University. You can't mm -hmm. if you, as soon as you figure it out, you, you'll know. So as uh, LDS, you do a two year mission. So I went out to Detroit for two years, knocking on doors. And in that case, you know, you're sharing a message to people. And listen, if you don't get rejected, <laughs> if you're afraid of rejecting, you can't do that. So it got rejected a lot. And, you know, that gave me some, this, this I guess, lack of fear. When I came back right, right. and later on, I did some uh, B2C sales where I did stuff to um, sold IT training classes to consumers like uh, A plus. You probably know about these Net Plus, the yeah, um, yeah. certified hacker courses. Like we we sold those um, things, and we had MCSE boot camps that we were selling. And some of these things were like ten grand, and I'm like, bro, in my mind as a kid. I still think I'm a kid at that point thinking I can't sell some of the stuff and I had limiting beliefs and I got over that and started doing well and pushed a lot of money through that. Then I went into the, I mean, I was even a server. I did dish network over the phone and then I did door to door security sales. And that was pretty cool. One summer made pretty decent money. And then I was like, I love sales. I want to do sales. I was studying marketing. Let's go into professional world. And when I got into the professional world, I thought that I could take my B2C knowledge and that's going to be the same case. I'm going to be Donald freaking Kelly. It's going to kill it. And I did not kill it. I had some troubles. I had some challenges. I remember borrowing money from my mom. I was like the perfect millennial, right? I came back home from school and I was like, you know what? I'm going to work 
and I'm going to move out. And I did after three months, I moved out and started living on my own. But then I started having troubles with my this uh, the sales job that I was in with a couple companies. And then I finally went to another organization and I got some training and there was a hockey stick in my performance. And I was like, bro, everything that I learned with B2C now coupled with B2B, I said, I need to tell people about this. There are many sellers out there who are entering B2C. And this obviously was like, you know, 2010 when I graduated. Look at, if you look at the time period with some of a, in, um, in 2008, people were still having difficulties with their jobs and people were transitioning, going into sales. People who never thought there would be a sales rep. So they didn't, knew, they didn't know what to do. So I figured a medium where I could share the stuff would be helpful. And that's when I started doing the podcasting thing when a friend told me about podcasts and shared that. So that was my journey. That was some of the things that I did. But I spent a lot of time ta- selling technology. So I absolutely love technology. When we were first chatting, I was like, bro, this guy is right in the, the right avenue there, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and yeah, if you guys are just joining, uh, we had some technical glitches earlier. So thank you, Karen. Thank you, Heather Graham. Thank you, Marie. Um, appreciate you guys. Um, we're here with with Donald C. Kelly. Um, he has a podcast called The Sales Evangelist. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere podcasts um, are available, I assume. And um, mm-hmm. he's been doing this since 2013. Got uh, 1,080 episodes. Awesome, like catalog of guests. Donald, I know um, people probably try to get this out of you all the time, but like, what's what's? I'm not gonna put you. I'm, you already know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull you up. Put that. Out, but what's what's like one of the one of the more memorable moments that you can share? Like discussions you've had with somebody that you can share with us. So there was there are two of them, and these were way early on, right? One of them was with Jeffrey Gittimer. When I had Jeffrey on a podcast, he was episode number one, and then don't ask me again which other ones, but he's been on a podcast three times altogether. But one of the things Jeffrey said was that people love to buy, but they hate to be sold, right? And that was one that was memorable. It stuck with me that whenever I'm working with a prospect, whenever I'm working with with people, remember that they they don't want to be sold to. They want to buy something. And if I can help them to make a, a buying decision, then fantastic. Works out great. The other one was with Ralph Quintero. Ralph, I had him on a podcast early on. I think it was like episode number two as well. And Ralph mentioned this concept of how we need to challenge ourselves to take massive action. And he's a big proponent of taking massive action. And that's actually where the term came from to do big things. And I always push that. Like, no matter what you're selling, sometimes a sales rep, we might say, well, you know, I can't talk to that person or I'm not going to get that deal. Take the action. What's the worst that's going to happen? Just take massive action every day. If you start taking these massive actions quickly, you're going to start seeing some massive results. Yeah, you're going to have failure, but who cares? You just keep moving forward. Like for us starting this, you know, people might say, well, I don't want to go live. People are going to see me all over the world. I might not look good. I not look as cool as Kyle. What if it breaks? Hey, it just broke on us, but the world didn't end. And now we're still, people are watching this and they don't even care about it. They don't know what's going on. So the the whole point, premise again is just take these massive action. Don't be afraid of failure. And that one, bro, I'm telling you, stuck out to me and it helped me a lot. And the good thing about running a podcast when I was a full-time sales rep, dude, I was getting, I was cheating because it's like you're learning from Gittimer and all these people for 30 minutes or 40 minutes that I'm sitting down talking to them, things that would cost thousands of dollars. I was taking that content, then applying it to my full-time gig, and then I started seeing better performance. So it was selfish running a podcast in that way, but it, it works. So those are some of the top two, I would say, from the very, very get-go. I mean, we had so many, bro, but those are some of the ones that uh, became memorable and solidified in my mind. Yeah, yeah, hang on one second, Gittimer, right? Gittimer? Yeah. 
I think yeah. I think I have I think I have one. I think I have one of these. This guy, right? Yeah, yeah look at that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do have this. Yeah, no, he's a good dude for sure. Yeah. Um, I remember following following some of his stories, the, the little red book of sales, right? That's yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. One awesome, of my man. first sales managers, uh, he would give us uh, read from that book in the office when we we're doing uh, Dish Network selling in the in in the evenings, and I was like, all right, getting pumped up, getting pumped up. And I would borrow it from him and read it. But yeah, that was one of the first books, man. So it was, it was like apropos that it was like the first person that we brought on the show as a guest. Dude, that's awesome. Love that. Love that. Yeah. So hey, um, I want to answer some questions real quick from the live yeah, feed. So uh, Karen asked, she said, um, you know, uh, trying to make people realize via stories about problems, the things they're not aware of. This is what I'm trying to do. Connect with senior corporate leaders to make them aware of hidden part of the workforce, well-educated and highly experienced professionals trying to return to the workforce after a long period of absence. And the question, uh, that's the context. The question is, how do you make them realize that these are professionals worth hiring? It's a deep question. I know, man, that's huge. So let me make sure I can break it down. I was trying to take some notes on it. The trying to convince senior executives yes. and, and organizations. So she's selling to the senior executives, I imagine, that, or is it people within her firm already that she they need to bring back people who are just, talented. Just generally, so like a hidden part of the workforce. So like talking about well-educated, highly experienced professionals that are trying to return to the work workforce. So maybe, maybe for for instance, perfect example. Let's take yeah. let's take a mother of children. She, so she she birthed her children. She raised them up until kindergarten, and then now she's going back to work. Right. So she had yeah. experience up. She had experience all this wealth of experience up to that point. She had an absence, and now she's going back into the workforce. Like what would be, how would we make, how do we go about making senior corporate leaders realize that these professionals are worth hiring? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I'm going to give the best stab that I feel that can happen. But, and I, again, I don't have any lot of experience with that as far as hiring folks in, in that category. Well, I, would, I would apply but, a, sales, a sales lens to it because like sales is everything. Like yeah. now, now you got to sell yourself to these corporate leaders. <laughs> Yeah, and so it seems like that's what she's doing. What I would say in that that scenario, everyone has a problem. So what are the problems that the corporate leaders have? Or if they don't have a problem that you know about, then research it. So might say, for instance, we know what, and I'm just going to throw myself under the bus as a millennial, right? So we might look at what are some of the challenges that millennial have in the workplace, and you could find articles for days on that. And you can find challenges that uh, Gen Zs are having when it comes towards uh, selling. One of, I mean, when it comes towards working in the workplace, because they're the next one's coming in the boat right and one of my friends he's a ceo of a, a firm and we were out yesterday and one of the things that he shared was how his employees are always on their phone and it doesn't matter who they are and some of you right now are at work and you're on the phone so shh don't tell anybody but the, yeah. the younger we get the more people who are just straight up addicted to their cell phones because they've grown up with that with that self with the cell phone and it distract them from work so you need to create an argument or create what i call reasonable doubt attorneys use this all the time reasonable doubt on the fact that the uh, an argument stating that the younger folks yes they're cheaper so therefore i can get more out of them but state the simple fact that yes you can get 
you're getting you're paying uh, less for younger folks, but your talented individuals who are senior, who are more experienced, are going to cost you less in the long run and are going to give you a higher return, even though you might pay them a little bit more in salary or may pay a little bit more in the health insurance. In the long run, those people are going to have less issues and their longevity within the organization, the opportunity to help the organization grow is going to be so much more better. So I would say tackle the problem and then emphasize, push down on that problem. The fact that the workforce is not being as productive, and I'm sure you can find some quantitative data on that, and then create an argument around it or create reasonable doubt. And the way you create reasonable doubt by asking questions. Mm -hmm. So you might say something like this. If I can show you a way that, you know, make it provocative too. If I can show you a way that you're, the younger your workforce, the more is costing you in your long run, would you be open to listening to me, Mr. Boss or Mr. Sir, Madam Sir, or whoever right. it is? Like say yes. And then Madam like sir. when from there, you could go into the conversation. Madam Sir, I just made stuff up there. Yeah, I like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> No, I think I think I think that's an awesome I think that's an awesome answer. And you know, I would I would just add to that um, it, it, along with that kind of leveraging what we're talking about here, the evolution of buyers and sellers. It's kind of the same thing. People inside of organizations. So using different channels to capture their attention to show yeah. them that you have to show them the problem that they have that you can solve. Right. So maybe using a video service like Bomb Bomb that we just talked about. Um, or you, you know, finding snail mail. Get get creative with some snail mail. Um, there's a guy. Um, there's a guy, Patrick Bet David, right? He's he had this story. I don't know if everyone follows him or not and heard this, but you know, when he started off in sales, he sent a. Sh he was like going after like high wealth individuals. So he would go to DSW, DSW shoes, get a box of shoes, and send them one shoe. Send them the left <laughs> foot. And with a handwritten note, you know, hey, just trying to just trying to get my foot in the door. It's so cheesy, but but like I think that still works. I think that would still work today. It's so cheesy that you just can't help but laugh. And if you're laughing because it's so cheesy, you might just be like, all right, who is this guy? Let's let's or who's this guy or girl? Let's let's find a way to, to meet for coffee or something. And and plus, I, it's a nice shoe. I want the other shoe. <laughs> So I want I want the right shoe to complement the left shoe. So I want the whole set. So yeah, let's meet for coffee or something. Yeah, you know. and it's it, it, it's so and it goes back to the formula again. Just identify a problem, find a create, identify a problem, and then find a creative way or of of translating that or transforming that message, um, or transporting that message from to the person. And if you can do that creatively, you're going to stand out. And I'll give you an example. We had. What we started to do at one point last year, we did outsource services where we, you know, we had a team. So we said, okay, let's do some uh, B to uh, for our clients. We started with our clients, but B to B outbound. So with these folks, we were setting appointments for them and and helping them to to for their closers to take those appointments. And this one company, we did a sample with them where we send out, I think it was like twelve packages in the mail and they were, we were trying to get them to do a demonstration. So we found out, and this was after I read Stu Heimick's book uh, when he was doing some really, really creative stuff. But I sent the actual uh, box in the mail with like a ticket, like a Willy Wonka style ticket for a movie. And that's what it looked like. It was just like, a, you know, we want you to join us for a demo. And then I found out from their receptionist who was what they like, and I got them some popcorn in the in the box, and I put uh, some milk duds or movie type stuff. And then uh, we had, we did an experiment with the Coke, and it worked out well. But we sent a bottle of a uh, you know a diet Pepsi, a Coke or whatever, and a Starbucks gift card. And we sent all this stuff for them to sit down and give us 30 minutes to watch a demonstration. And from that, re sending them out, send them out. 
I think we, our response rate was about 60 to 70 percent that actually responded or actually spoke to us. And then from that, the 30, about 30, uh, three of them from the half of them actually scheduled the demonstration and landed and turned into about a hundred thousand dollars. So we revenue for this organization. So because we did that, it stood out and it took less time than us just sitting there, um, just making, you know, blasts, random messages, but we personalized the message, stole information from people who were already smart, like Stu. And that was able to help us. And we focused on a receptionist too, the gatekeepers to get us through. And we balanced it out by doing connecting with them on LinkedIn as well. So we had a multi-tier approach with the phone, snail mail, and LinkedIn. And that helped us to land these appointments. And yeah, $100,000 in in revenue, annual recurring revenue from these three deals wasn't too bad for them. And no, yeah, yeah, yeah not at all. I'm sure a thousand people here on LinkedIn would raise their hand for that. Um, I, I love how, I mean, it's like when you say it all, like, like the results is awesome, but when you say it all, like it, it honestly sounds a little overwhelming, right? For mm-hmm. a lot of people. But I mean, I think this is kind of the marketplace we're in right now, right? Can you, can you talk to that? I mean, it, it is an overwhelming marketplace. So to, to stand out, you have to actually be extraordinary. Yeah. You know? I, I think for everyone, I, I think human beings sometimes are like water, Kyle. We want to find, we're going to find a path of least resistance. And especially a sales rep, I mean, we're like water on, we're like oil or something. We're going to go fast to the easiest way (laughs) as possible. Whatever path is easiest, we're going to find that and we're going to seep down through it. But I feel that if you, again, I really believe strongly that if you want to be successful, you have to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And that way you have to stand out against, especially in a crowded marketplace. So when it comes down to it, any greats, if you're a basketball player or, you know, go back to Tiger a couple of weeks ago, how he was able to pull that off. He had some problems and some of them were self-inflicted problems. But if you saw what Tiger did, it was he worked at it and he failed over and over over the past, what, 10 years since he won or 12 years since whatever number of times since he right. won. Um, you know, one like that. But the great thing about it was that he worked at it and it was consistent. And it's behind the scenes when you don't see those things that work. If you take what I just shared there and break it down, all you have to do is just start off with one avenue and then add on to that avenue. If I'm going to do a cold call to you, it makes sense for me now to do LinkedIn first or to have LinkedIn component to that so I can grab your attention in some way. And maybe it is the is sending a, a thank you card that I get at Walgreens or a little note in the mail just saying, hey, Donald, I reached out on LinkedIn. It would be an honor to connect with you and to learn about what are, some of the things you guys are doing at TSE. That way, you're, you're, it's taken a little bit more work, yeah, but more the problem effort. is the result is going to be better. Think about that client with $100,000 in annual recurring revenue from three deals. Like that, oh yeah, that, that makes total sense in, in, in hindsight now, as opposed to just sitting back and just making sure I just do a bunch of cold call. If you want to feel productive, that's fine. Just to go ahead and hit the phones and you, know, you get burnt out. But I'm not telling you ignore the phones i'm telling you to make sure add to it and to do a little bit more if you want to eat plain hot dogs that's okay if you want to have some hot dogs with some relish and some you know some ketchup and some some sauerkraut that's that's what i'm trying to get at put some more things on yeah, it yeah so what you're saying is don't be work. don't be the plain hot dog don't just cold call Bro, people. don't be plain hot dog yeah you gotta stand out you gotta stand out i love it man i love it so hey um uh, take a moment here to address the, the live audience here um we got 34 people joining us live right now thank Damn, you so dude. much Thank you so much, uh, despite all the issues we had today. So M- Michael Malio, what's going on, man? Um, he asked a question, and hey, what's going on, Cena? Cena, I know you I know you know a thing or two about sales. You should chime in here. Um, Michael Malio asked, what's the next big social media platform you see taking the place of LinkedIn? 
as a personal branding element. Ooh, like, like as an example, LinkedIn has replaced Facebook. That's a, Ooh. that's a highly debatable topic here. TikTok, I know. TikTok, the, uh, yeah, no, not TikTok. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, well, that's, that's a huge question. And I, I, I don't know, but let's, let's you and I just discuss this and talk out loud. Right. I don't even know what, I've heard of TikTok, but I haven't even spent time with that, right? And social platforms are popping up left and right all the time. Oh, yeah. And here, here are the things, though, that I feel the reason you're not going to you're not going to kill Facebook or LinkedIn right away. And the main reason for LinkedIn, they just got purchased by what year to go by Microsoft. Yeah. So that's they're, they're huge. They're a behemoth and they're going to stick around for a while. Now you look at Facebook. Facebook has millions of dollars and they don't only have Facebook. They also have Instagram and they have WhatsApp. So whenever there's a platform coming up, what might happen? Say there's another platform that comes and it's doing pretty well. Facebook might gobble that sucker or oh, yeah. somebody like LinkedIn might gobble it. So in that sense, you might not get rid of those big gorillas in a room, but elements that might evolve. Like, for instance, we know that when we saw pictures coming up, a lot more people love just seeing pictures. That's where you saw the evolution of uh, things like Instagram um, and Snapchat growing and then stories with uh, Instagram stories. I feel in a professional sense, LinkedIn just has so much that it's going to have to offer. And I think with LinkedIn doing what they're doing now with this, taking advantage of videos and utilizing videos more, I feel that's where it's going to go. So whatever platform, I, I feel that we are we, we, we see these cycles that go on in life, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we found with podcasts now, people love to hear the you know, like the old storytelling type of thing. We see that come come back. I think we are seeing the revolution, evolution of video or the revolution of video again, of how we are we want to have that connection as human beings. For so long, we've gone with just plain text. I feel whatever platform it is, is going to have more video component. I'm not just saying this because of this live, but maybe even if in, 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 in your LinkedIn messages now, you can send the videos inside of the messages, right? And sure you can, can do voice. So whatever platform it is, it's going to give us an op opportunity to connect more easier than just through text. And I, I don't, that's a broad answer. What are your thoughts on that too, Kyle? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's fun to speculate on, on it. But I also agree with you, like, you know, being here now in the present, taking advantage of what's happening now, like LinkedIn now. But, you know, you, you got to wonder, right, um, yep. with, with voice, with voice kind of being on the forefront, you know, it's going to happen at one point. I have no idea how to conceptualize how they're going to pull it off, but you know this is going to happen. There's going to be a, a voice-based social media network. I don't know how. I don't know the details. Someone's going to figure that out. And, that's, <laughs> and like, we're, we're sitting here now talking about this. We're like, I don't, I don't even know how that would even make sense, how we would use it. But when that comes out, it'll be like the thing that we all are going to try to use and figure it out. It'll be like yeah. podcasting, like maybe, maybe voice podcast, like voice broadcasting live, which is back to the radio. But then I don't know, I don't know how they would mix that in, but it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, but again, like it's fun to speculate on that kind of stuff and, and, and see it. But for, for me and for you, I know, like I'm just, I'm living in the now, like right now, like LinkedIn video, yeah. uh, LinkedIn is just such a good place. Um, you know, you see a lot of like Facebook influence coming into LinkedIn, which it's fine by me. I don't care. I just, if I don't like something, I just keep scrolling by. Like, I don't care what people do on LinkedIn. Do what you want. It's a platform yeah. to do what you want with. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that as an advantage to like, you know, try to drive more awareness to the platform so that we can bring in more people to be connected more. Right. 
And you know, I think the awareness is still not, you know, it's, it's not where it needs to be, but it, it will eventually gravitate over time because more and more people are realizing, they're realizing this truth, which you know, Gary Vee talks about, a lot of people talk about it, but this truth, if you are not interactive with social media, it doesn't mean you're posting, it doesn't mean you have a podcast, but you're, like, you're at least like in the comments, no. you're at least like aware that this thing's going on, right? If you're not in this, you're not relevant at all. You're completely irrelevant. So as a, as a person, as a, as a company, you know, that's a bold statement, but it's, it's so true because you, yeah. might, you might be able to go door knock and have no visibility online, door knock and close some business and have some customers. But, you know, if you don't have a digital presence, like eventually over time, like people that do have that are going to come, they're going to come eat your lunch. You know, <laughs> that's what it is. It's yeah. business. Business is war, man. It, it is, but uh, but I like I like the transition where we've, we're going from, you know, business being war, which you know it still is, but like trying to like be bring it to be more about just like chasing dollar signs and to be more about impact and relationships and connectedness. So I love yeah. that shift, the shift towards okay, yeah, dollar signs, whatever, cool. Yes, we're gonna make money. We're in business. We're doing business. It's great. But but what about impact? What about relationships? What about connectedness? What about mental health inside of all of that, right? So it's like, I love where we're going. Because that's the other yeah. thing, like the social media, like mental health, mental health, because so, so many people, like they need, they need you to click like. Like I, yes. I don't know how much, I don't know how much you know that they need you to click like. They need <laughs> that, man. It's like, oh, it's like a drug. Yeah, and you know, I think that's also been going off on a, a side note on that too. But it it can affect you in many different ways. I'll t I'll give you two two quick things. One, you see the rampant suicide rates, and it's just so sad, man. And um, I mean, I don't know if that's what it ties to, but I I think sometimes we, mm -hmm. especially with teenagers, I see it where they're they're comparing themselves to somebody else and not living to not recognizing what they have in their own life or their own family but they see the worst and focus on the worst and social media has a way of sell, uh, selling lies right where you see somebody and you think they're like blowing up making cash and when it's just a little bit of uh you know that beautiful uh, filter that they put on and that makes it you know it, it may distract or detract and we lose our self-worth where our identity now become built on this false persona and that's one of the sad parts you also see people who are social influence who are doing good stuff right and their impact in the world and i think that's a a neat thing um another part to it is that even though i do love social media myself and i connect a lot and i reach out to, i have people i you know extend to all throughout the world i think one of the other important part too is being knowing when to put it down and to get away like when i go uh you know go out for a hike or go camping and i don't have signal bro it's it feels good like uh i can just like not have to worry about you know responding to emails or things like that and i it, i it gives me an opportunity to recalibrate or when i find myself going to the beach and just sitting back and chilling with the book i relax i recalibrate and spend time with my family, and that helps me to get into the mode, get motivated to come back and jump on the horse. So don't be afraid of taking a break and making sure that you focus on the things that matter the most and go back to the human connection. Right, right, absolutely. So, and, and you know, the um, to that point of what you just said, you, you know like Apple released that screen time app so you can see, yeah, how, bro. You can see how long you spend inside of apps. Um, I'm curious, a question for the audience. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to answer if you want or just chime into the conversation. Question for you guys. Um, how much time is too much time to spend on social media in general? 
or let's, let's say on one platform, how much time is too much time to spend on LinkedIn? Just in your opinion, I just want to hear it. Yeah. So as we, um, as we continue here, um, so Anne, um, Anne Thornley Brown, um, huge believer in direct mail, great tip from Heather Grand. Yes, yes, all right, cool. So, Donald, what, what's next, man? What's next for you? This podcast that you're talking about, a storytelling podcast, like, yeah. like cin cinematic, audio cinematic story, is that what you're going for? Two, yes, there's two of them, uh, but one of they're they're in the works both right now. But the first, the next one is we spend so much so much time on, the, especially with the sales evangelists and many of the interview base. I'm a believer that in order to be successful, do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. So I saw with all of this uprise of podcasting and me being like one of the vets back in sales podcasts era. I mean, five years. You think it sounds like I'm a vet, but five years of podcasting is like a dinosaur for years. But the right. I see that everyone does interview base. I'm looking at folks like Gimlet Media. I'm looking at folks like yeah. NPR, and I'm seeing some of the pot, top shows that I like. So we decided to jump and go to the other side of the line. I interviewed a lot of these experts from Jeffrey Gittimer, you know, Joe Conrath, all of these folks, um, Guy Kawasaki, and they are influencers. But I decided that we need to do the other side of the line. And we are launching a show where we're interviewing executive at large companies, people who are being sold to, not who have sales expertise. And we're getting from them what hmm. they like, what they don't like, their suggestions. I mean, do they like snail mail? What are some of their, their thoughts on sale problems, the habits that salespeople have that they don't like? So it's called I'm Sold. I am I am S O L D. And these are it's gonna be them telling stories with a little bit of their uh, you know, interview, but a little bit of uh, narration in between. And we're gonna talk uh, get from them those things that are working for them, things that they like that salespeople do and suggestions and thoughts that they feel could be improved for sellers. So now we go to the horse's mouth as opposed to research. Am I making sense on that? Yeah, yeah, you are. So you're gonna you're gonna continue sales evangelist and that's gonna still be five days a week oh, yeah. and you're yep. doing this or you're gonna scale back? No, so that one is the new episode, new podcast is gonna be one day a week and that it's gonna be seasonal. So like say for instance, for one season we might focus on, you know, what's uh outreach what's the best outreach means or you know what do they consider as value of you know when sellers are bringing value or it might focus on you know email for a little bit but there'll be short seasons like for maybe a month or two and then that way we can continue to add more seasons and take low breaks in between and then we have some stuff uh, plans for some other things i can't share too much of it yet but we sure. we launched a sales podcast network and uh, that's where the two Pod, the three podcasts because we have a third uh, an affiliate podcast these friends of ours the video jungle um, they're in a the video space and they video marketing uh, sales tied together so they're part of ours they own and produce their own podcast but they are underneath the sales podcast network and we have a couple more shows that we're planning to build out and um, one of them that I won't uh, some that I won't host myself but it will be underneath our production side because we started seeing some pretty good success with our podcast production, so that's another side of our business. Which, anyways, it's a story for another day. No, no, no. That, that, <laughs> so maybe you can maybe you can help us, like, or even selfishly me, like, as a fellow podcaster. Um, like, yeah. how do you how do you organize all this? Like, how do you organize? I know you I know you do batch recordings on Mondays, but um, you know you have this team. Like, how did you find this team, and how did you create this team of helping you like scale this? Do you find the, these people online or, or what locally? 
Yeah. So they're online. One of them was local. And so two of them in the state of Florida, well, one, one, two are in the state of Florida. One of them moved out of the state. And then we have folks obviously like in Philippines um, who do help us with some of our editing. But I started, when I first got started, my buddy Jared recommended someone to me who then uh, helped with the editing of the show. And then that guy stuck around and been with us for a while. Then we had a hiatus. And then I had somebody in the state, a friend of ours um, in the state of Florida, then he moved, mm-hmm. but he is, he's really a remarkable editor and a uh, you know, content producer. So we kept them working with him. So he's helping us. So we have a couple producers on our team. And then we have the, um, a writer, a content writer who writes for us, which helps out tremendously with the show notes as well as with original content. And then we have, uh, my executive assistant who assists with like, you know, keeping in touch with uh, all of the team, uh, the, the, excuse me, the, uh, the uh, uh the guests and keeping them online and let them know when shows are going live and running that system behind us but what we did i did and we're revamping it right now was literally we wipe i love whiteboard so i'd process everything and it all came little by little it wasn't all at once but i had one person helping me out with this and then the next person and then the more complex it got we started dividing out the process and the tools so we record everything we use asana and everything gets recorded and gets shared into a, a file folder that we have. Uh, we have a Google Doc that keeps track of our guests. That gets translated to our Asana, which each of the episodes, and then each episode has like 12 or 15 tasks. And uh, our con- our producer in the background that helps also helps me make sure everything everyone does their task. So she's over like the content um, in the back end, and uh, yeah. So that if I didn't have her and them helping me out it would be ridiculous. So my goal is to help find people who I feel that are great for the show and then to record and then have the team do the back end, everything else to make it happen. And I get people reach out to me all the time, you know, you want us to produce a show for you or whatnot, but I have a team that does it so well, I wouldn't imagine trying to get past what they do. And uh, yeah, and it, it just works out well, so. Dude, I appreciate you sharing that workflow with us. I was kind of right there yeah. with you. Um, and that's yeah, something that I get into with, with my clients is like the, the technology that they're using in their workflow to create that experience of how you can scale, right? Because if, yeah. if, if you don't have that workflow down, you wouldn't be able to have a five-day-a-week show. There's almost no way. No, you just not at all. running around like chicken with your head cut off, you know? Yeah. Cool. And you see, that's so, the um, other thing too. It helps with the sales when I'm – sorry to cut you off there. but there So now go. when I'm doing – if I had to do all that stuff, because people say, how are you doing sales and how are you doing training and how are you doing coaching? So we have a lot of our programs that we, some about half of our stuff can be done online and or about 75%. And then a quarter of them can do, be done in person. So or have to be done in person. So we like our workshop and obviously speaking, but the other things like podcast sponsors, I don't need to be anywhere for that or coaching. I need to do it virtually and then consulting we do on site and also remote. And then our products like um, we have a new program, TSC certified sales training program, which is in beta, but it's launching. But it's the basically it's a course that helps new struggling or people who are just having a difficult time with sales 12 weeks and like 70 videos. Um, but they it, it guides individuals through that process. So now we have those things that we can sell and obviously we need our sales team and some of them are remote or here in Florida as well. And that helps us as well to make sure we're selling as well as producing. 
Nice, nice, man. Yeah. Like so many different streams. Like you got so many different things <laughs> going on. I like it, man. You got to have your hands in a lot of different things. That that diversity there. Um, Want to give a quick shout out. Um, so Brian Schulman, what's going on? Heather Graham has a question. Fraser Kennedy, uh, greetings from the UK. Uh, I think Anne answered the question here. So in terms of how much is too much, just something people don't know. If you overdo interaction after break or vacation, your account will be restricted by the LinkedIn system. Interesting. Hmm. I did not know that. Unusual activity. So after a break, go slowly. That's a good tip, Anne. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, so Fraser asks, um, how do I do business in the U.S.? Looking for tips to do selling and crack a market in a new country. One of the things I wish to sell is books plus training courses. And before you answer that, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. Yeah. Donald, I know yeah, we had this till 3.30, but are you still good? Man, I'm still good, man. Okay, cool. So how does Fraser sell in the U.S.? Sell selling books and courses. Yeah, so when it comes towards like, you know, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not huge on the don't spend a lot of time on the consumer side. So I don't want to give you any things that can probably f people with marketing folks can, you know, belittle me for giving them these answers. But <laughs> yeah, I would say if you're trying to sell books or your courses and if those things are for B2B market, then it is all you need to do at this point. I recommend going to Chet. Uh, there's a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes, the late Chet Holmes. He passed away probably like uh, eight maybe 10 years ago, but Chet, one of the things that he always talked about was creating a dream list of folks that you want to go after. And this is where the personalization come to work, comes at it again. So you have a dream list of clients, whether that's a short list of 30 or a big list of 100 people that you know, potential customers that I would like to, I know I can get, if I get touched with, that's going to help me out tremendously. Then you want to go to look at companies like Sales Loft or look at how they have cadences or a flow process that I call it, have a flow process of you being able to outreach towards those individuals. Because it doesn't matter where you are today in this day and age, you can be in you know, Timbuktu and, or selling to people in China or to the US and that can't happen because the advent of technology. So you need to make sure you, you have the process, but have that ideal customer profile down and then make sure you have a list of those people and you can do that through your LinkedIn sales navigator or just LinkedIn in general. And do the outreach, like we talked about before, find the problem that they're facing. And if you don't know a problem, research a problem. Don't let your pitch or your outreach initially be about you. What I do on LinkedIn a lot, I will connect with uh, sales leaders, right? Because those are our, some of the people that are great for our business. And I would say like some, something like, hey, Kyle, uh, you know, always looking to connect with great sales leaders or sales leaders doing amazing things. Permission to connect here on LinkedIn. And all the time, I'd probably say about 70% of them will connect or they'll maybe half of them respond and say yes, you know, or whatever. And now we have a dialogue or a conversation going and that helps to be able to help it, make it easy for me to transition. Now that we have that, I then have a problem. I'm not going to go pitch them in LinkedIn. I might use the, you know, use their email at that point to then share with them a problem like, Hey, Kyle, we connected on LinkedIn and I wanted to, I thought blah, 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 and share that problem. Is that something that you find you're, you know, challenged with? You know, you can work on that and make it sound a lot better. But the whole point, you're, you're identifying a problem. But that's what I would share with you, man, if you're that person. The other thing that I would share with you is you can try to do a uh, create original content. So depending on who you're trying to reach out to, like for us, podcasting is that means. 
I interview a lot of times sales leaders on the show to talk about their sales challenge and how they overcame that challenge. But that gives me an opportunity to build a relationship. And if it makes sense, we might do training for them or you know, they might buy into our products uh, or things that we are selling. So that's one way you can do it. Find those ideal customers, then open the door by maybe just doing a, a, a interview with them, a video interview, or if it's a podcast, or even if it's just like a blog text interview, but interview them and then use that stuff to share content. And people usually would want to do that. And then you leverage that as a way to open up the dialogue. So. Yeah, no, I love that. I love those tips, Donald. I think that's highly valuable. So I think we're going to have to go back and chop this up and get that little segment out to people because that was, <laughs> that's, that's something that if you missed it, you want to hear that again. So um, Heather Graham has a question for us. Um, Heather, thank you. Thanks so much. You're so engaging in all these live streams. I appreciate that. Um, what one yeah. skill were you born with that you think has helped you have success in sales? And what one skill did you acquire or have to learn? Love that. Yeah, dude. I would say the one skill that I was born with would probably be persistency or be persistent. And I go back to, I grew up in Jamaica. We moved to the U.S. when I was nine, right? And I feel I wasn't always the smartest kid in school. I wasn't always the, uh, it's, I wasn't always the fastest, but you know, we're Jamaican, so you know, pretty fast, man. Got Usain Bolt going. <laughs> but I, I wasn't always the fastest or the biggest. But what I did know was that if I could consistently do something, that I could outbeat other people because people were going to quit. And I think that's probably one thing that I have. My mom moved to the U.S. when I was younger and I stayed and lived with my aunt for several years until she, you know, got everything situated here and then filed for us. And we came and became, you know, U.S. residents and eventually citizens. But during that time period, I was just you, you know, not being with my mom, but living with family members, that was, is, it was important because I, I mean, they took care of me and they loved me and everything, but I still had some kind of independence where I had to make things happen on my own in, in a way um, than if I had my mom and dad sitting right there with me all the time. And I think that helped me a lot. So when I came to the U.S., came back and my family were all together and we're living here in the U.S. now, that helped me to persevere because I had an accent too. I chat like a Yadi, like a Jamaican. And it didn't, <laughs> I wanted to be, I didn't want to stand out like that at that point. So I had to become persistent and to catch up to the American system and the way, American way of life. And that helped me tremendously, I would say. And the thing, the second part of the question, and being outgoing, I, I didn't want to say that answer, but people say, does that help? Yeah, well, I guess I didn't have fear. But I don't believe being outgoing naturally makes somebody a great salesperson. It could add to them, like add flavor, but it's not going to be a component that makes you a great seller. And the one skill that I learned that I had to acquire um, or had to learn, ooh, I would say asking effective questions and listening. That was huge for me because as a new seller, because I was outgoing and I wasn't afraid of talking to people per se and went through that, you know, that, that phase of my life. I would not shut up. So when I did meet with people, the thing that would be of benefit was actually a detriment to me because 
I just didn't know how to ask questions and listen. And a sales trainer taught me, Bernie Cronin, big shout out to Bernie. He said that, Donald, you need to listen. You need to listen more. You should be talking around 30% of the time. Have your buyer talk 70% of the time. And that comes only when you're asking thought-provoking, value-rich questions. And then Gong produced something like two a year ago or a year and a half ago. And they did a study showing uh, based on it was uh, – they use AI to listen to uh, go to meeting calls that were recorded. And it showed that the seller, the most effective sellers were talking about 40% and the buyers were talking 60. So Bernie wasn't off too bad. And that gave me the validation, but I learned to ask effective questions and to listen. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, it sounds like you have a lot of, had a lot of adversity and you have something that I gained later on in life, which is just perspective. And if you have that perspective from the start, man, coming from Jamaica to here and just trying to, to come through, you just have that uh, hunger and desire, which, you know, quite frankly, a lot of us that just were born here and grew up here, a lot of us lack that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of ways we do. And some of us have to go find that and we have to put ourselves in super uncomfortable positions like going live on LinkedIn and breaking it uh, <laughs> to actually to get there. Like we have to like try so hard to get there. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And actually, I think we may have found your long lost cousin or- I know, um, man. Do you see that? You see, you see in the comments? Yeah, dude. Yeah, um, read it. <laughs> yeah, so um, what, is a, what is a yardie? That's a, that's a good word, or right? So it's a good word. So Jamaicans, okay. we, it's, you know, your yard, like your home, your yeah. yard, yeah. In my backyard. So whenever you go back to home to Jamaica or anyone from Jamaica, we call them a yardie. Okay. So, yeah, yadi man, my yadi. So she was saying, uh, sent you a connection request asking if you're a yadi. <laughs> nice. And she's a descendant of Kelly's. <laughs> so yeah. Find your long lost cousin. There you hey, go. Hey, cuz man, what's up? I need some money. <laughs> I know. There you go. There you go. Um, oh, Heather has a Heather has another question for us. Um, do you think colleges should offer courses on sales, or or should they just leave that alone? Bro, bro. Can I get on a soapbox? Do it, do it, go for it. Yes, yes. Think about this. It is the only, prof it is the profession. Sales is the profession where it like, bro, every business, nothing in your organization, if you're in HR, if you're in finance, if you're in operations, none of those people will eat unless money is coming inside of the organization. So considering this is the most important piece, the most important department, I don't care what anybody says, is the sales department. If that's the case, then why are we just taking it at chance and not training the people who are doing that job to be most effective? We might think, well, yes, it can happen by not happenstance. Like somebody can be born as a great seller. And I don't, I, I do believe some people have that natural capabilities, but I think that's few and far between when in actuality it takes training and learning and educating. Now, Think about it from the business standpoint. Great universities like Harvard caught on to it, and some of I think uh, uh, Wharton caught on to it, and some of Stanford, some of these great schools, they started creating sales programs, especially in their MBA and having curriculum for it. And I'm so excited. My alma mater, Brigham Young University, Idaho campus, they're launching in uh, I think in two weeks or in a month, they're launching the first ever sales degree. Imagine graduating with a professional in sales, and yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but imagine. If the learning curve that I could have taken off, if I was able to learn and understand basic things like asking those effective questions, listening, reasoning, understanding how to read business reports or financial documents and to be able to analyze that and to identify problems, that's what's going to change. I feel the new world of sales reps have to be part analysts, part sellers. 
what I mean by analyst is that you need to make sure you identify problems. You need to be able to know how to, th you need to be able to find a problem before I do as a business owner. And that's a given. But if I can learn that, or you can train that or teach that in college or help someone to become a certified seller previously before leaving college, bro, think about that learning curve and the dollar opportunities that, like that ramp up period might decrease. And I can't, I can't wait to see studies in the next like five years about things that are, people are doing this. So more and more universities need to have it. Every darn university in the country, in the world that teach business, I feel should have a sales pro, uh, sales program. It, it's just given. It is the most important department. And why the heck don't train it? Don't leave it a happenstance. And companies, I feel that if they were to focus on that even more so, getting people who are qualified and who can do this. Again, revenue, imagine the revenue potential opportunities and the mistakes that we're going to bypass. So given, I'm a big believer in it. Freaking, I'll start my own college and do it. <laughs> Lost the original audio here, but I asked Donald to dive in deeper to his origin story to find out, you know, where his drive actually comes from. This is where that drive again comes from too, right? There was a time we were, I was about six, 17, uh, 16, actually 16, 17. And we were in a situation where we had a financial struggle we actually, I remember coming home from school and there was that bright yellow or orange fluorescent eviction sign on a door. My mom was single parent at that time. She had gone through an abusive relationship with my stepdad and you know she was on her own at this point. And bro, it was tough financially. And then what happened was we, um, we uh we just couldn't afford the 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 rent and stuff and she didn't want me to get a job in after school or anything she was like you need to finish up because you know jamaican educations are big she was like education is huge so she said you need to make sure you finish up your you know your high school you need to get to college that's important that's what i want you to do and wouldn't let me do much side work after you know full-time work or anything else you know while in in high school um i did a little part-time stuff for people that i knew so anyways so we moved in with families my mom brother and sister went to live with a, a relative and my other cousin he didn't have much space but his home or his house apartment was on the route to my school. And that's where the bus stop I needed to go to. I went to a pretty prestigious high school and uh, I got into a program in uh, art school in, in, Dry in Dreyfus, West Palm Beach, Florida. So financially we were strapped. I started living with this relative and it was for like, in they had a one bedroom place, bro. And they had a, a back room that was uh, with some bunk beds in it. And he allowed me to stay there with them while my mom got back on her feet. My best friend found out about it and eventually he told, you know, he talked to my family, talked to them and he was like, you know, why don't you live with me for a year or so while you're in, in going through this challenge? So I moved in with my best friend and his family and we, I lived with them for about a year. My mom got back on her feet and then we got back into our place. That time was rough. It was embarrassing because again, I went to a pretty nice high school and it was embarrassing to go to school and not to be around and be around people who are super wealthy and to you know have this 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 thing that i was hiding and it was tough because i saw how my mom worked so hard so darn uh hard and how she was you know trying to make sure we stay afloat and make sure things happen and during that time bro kyle i was like i will never ever let my family be in a situation like this ever again 
ever. And that's one of those things that helped me when I got into sales. So fast forward, when I was having a tough time in sales and I had to borrow money, I felt awful. And I was like, this is not the goal. This is not the vision that I had. And it pushed me even more so to work hard and to become even better to study and to learn and to outbeat my competition, outbeat the people who are in my company. And that's what I did. That's what gives me that little bit of oomph and a little bit of drive to always take care of my family, to also always make sure that we have food on the table. And it doesn't matter what we're going through. You're going to push through and make it happen. That troubling or a tough time for that year in high school, it helped to shape me and make me who I am. It helped me give me this, this extra stamina, helped me to give me this drive or this why to always take care of my friends, my family. And that's why I do what I do in, in the long run. I want to make sure everybody's taken care of that I love. Appreciate this conversation with you, man. It's been uh, wonderful, man. Thanks for sharing that story with us. Um, yeah, bro. How can people connect with you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, man. So going back to our good friend Julian here, go ahead and just send me a message on LinkedIn. Say Wagwan, or you can just make it super easy and say <laughs> you saw me on uh, Kyle's uh, connecting with Kyle, and we'll start a conversation, man. I like connecting with folks. I like having genuine conversation. But I'm Donald C. Kelly on LinkedIn here. So yeah, man. Awesome. Well, hey, man. Thanks so much for joining. Can't believe you made it this far, but thanks for listening. Hope you found a sliver of value in this. But hey, the best way to experience Dialed In is on LinkedIn Live. So go to LinkedIn, type in hashtag Dialed In. You'll catch me live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Thursday at 2 p.m. And uh, I got nothing else to say, so insert some, some cheesy line here, like stay dope forever, or I don't know. 